I'm Dr. Morcise J. Beasley, Superintendent of Clayton County Public Schools. You're listening to Be Inspired with Beasley, a podcast aimed to inspire and lift our community with actions that add value to the lives of our students here in Clayton County. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to Be Inspired with Beasley, our Clayton County Public Schools podcast, where you can be informed, hear new information, uh, participate in the conversation, and, of course, hear from wonderful, wonderful experts and community leaders, depending on the topic. So today, uh, as you are aware, you should be if you're not, This month, we celebrate, in the first week of the month, Exceptional Children's Week, but I'll just make it the whole month. Is that okay? Sounds good. We'll just say Exceptional Children's Month. Uh, Our children, as you all know, we love our children, and we know that they're all unique and they're diverse, Uh, and there are uh, those among our children who have exceptionalities that are uh, identified sometimes at a very early age. Mm -hmm that impacts their learning, right? Right. It impacts their development. Mm -hmm. So we are so honored to have three wonderful educators and parents of children who have exceptionalities. And so I'd like to uh, share with you and give them a chance to introduce themselves. First, we have Dr. Sheila Cook, who works in our Department of Exceptional Mm -hmm. Students. Uh, we're welcome, Dr. Cook, and this is your first time on a podcast with it Dr. Is. B, so I want you to just have fun today. Well, have good. fun. We also have our Director of Exceptional Students yes. Department. That would be Miss Trina Smith. Yes. Welcome, Trina. Welcome. Thank you. And you have heard from this young lady before. Uh, She is the coordinator of our science program here in Clayton County Public Schools, Ms. Janetta Greenwood. Welcome back, Ms. Greenwood. Thank you so much, Dr. Beasley. (laughs) Well, what I'd like to do is so everyone can get a sense of who you are, I'd like you to first, uh, again, tell them your name and tell them a little bit about yourself and uh, your child that has exceptionalities. We want our parents, you know, even if they have children with exceptionalities or don't, you don't plan for that, do you? No, you don't. It happens and life happens to all of us. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I look at it as a gift. All of our children are gifts mm-hmm. and gifts come the way they, they should come, Absolutely. period. Mm-hmm. I believe that. They come mm-hmm. the way they should come and they add, I believe, immense value to our mm-hmm. lives. So as parents, clearly you have a role to nurture, support, identify. So please tell us a little bit about that um, that process, that role, who you are, if you don't mind sharing a little bit about your child, what exceptionality exceptionality they have. Uh, and and we'll, we'll ask more questions as we move along, but I want to give the community a sense of who you are and who your child is. Okay. Well, I guess I'll start. I'm Sheila Cook. I am one of the coordinators with the district, and I am one of the special education coordinators, and I work mostly with our low-incidence population. It is because of my son um, that I even came into education. Prior to his diagnosis, I was not even thinking about going into education. But once he got an autism diagnosis, I learned all I could. I just immersed myself into the autism population 
And I learned so much about it, and he was making such great progress that I was approached and asked, have you ever thought about teaching? So that brought me into the field, but uh, my son was diagnosed with autism at age two. He is now 27. Um, He is a product of Clayton County. We did move briefly, but he got his foundation in Clayton County, so I'm a firm believer in public school. I'm a firm believer in Clayton County being able and more than capable of educating our special needs population. That's wonderful. So he is 27 years of age. How's he doing overall? He is doing wonderful. He's working, driving, doing it all and treat the last because he keeps having these minor accidents but they're very minor and I'm okay with it once I got past that first time of him driving away in the car by himself after that I'm a little bit more comfortable with it but he just got a good foundation and I believe that firm foundation is the key to it all. Well I have children who may not have exceptionalities and they still have minor accidents. <laughs> so he is right. sounds like he is doing what young people do. Uh-huh. <laughs> Trina, please share with us and I know you serve as the director and you have for a few years now. And before the being director you were in the department as well. Absolutely. So you've been around for quite a while in, in Clayton County. Been. But please share with us, uh, with our audience, who you are and anything you'd like to share about your children. All right. Well, um, I have been in Clayton County for 20 years as an educator and then moved into compliance specialist, worked in special education. I got my inspiration for special education from my mother, who has a hearing impairment. Well, has. She's passed since then. But um, so you, I kind of grew up infused in that in that area of disability and not really knowing that, but that's what I grew up with. So in going to education, education seemed just kind of a baseline for me. I wanted to do something different, so I went into special education and grew that foundation for me, which I guess was what kind of gave me the foundation to be able to handle what led next. And um, in teaching for a few years and uh, then getting married, I did on my second child, have a child that was born a month early, um, very underweight. Things seemed normal as he was developing and progressing, but about four years of age, it was pretty apparent he was having some difficulties with attention and hyperactivity and led him to um, a very early diagnosis of ADHD. He's what we call twice exceptional, so he actually qualified for gifted and is also ADHD. So we have um, a lot going on, <laughs> a lot of daily challenges in my home, and a lot of intelligence. Sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, yes, a lot of intelligence. Um, behind that, I have a, a, set, a third child. My oldest son, the middle child, is the one with the ADHD, and then I have a third child who's come up um, with some difficulties with speech. And a lot of people forget that speech is also part of the exceptionality um, and, you know, Department, but we've, we're under an IEP and having services, and he's getting services from a speech therapist as well now, and that's been extremely important in his life. And he tells me all about it now, and he's really working on his language to develop that. So I actually do have two students that are receiving some kind of service, but um, every day is a challenge, and it's interesting, and we're still going through it. Both my kids are in public school and in totally different levels of education. That is amazing to hear. Janetta, uh, tell us about of course, your, yourself and your child that has an exceptionality. Yes, sir. Um, so I've been in education for about 21 years. Um, 
always taught high school, but definitely have experience teaching students that are gifted, co-taught classes, gen ed classes. But um, my son is eight years old. So um, I was an educator first, but have become a parent of a child with exceptionalities. Um, at age two, we just noticed some things that just, just didn't seem right. Um, and me nor my husband were in denial. We definitely wanted to make sure, because we looked at it as we want to give our child the best opportunity to be successful. And by any means necessary, let's figure out what's going on. And so um, we took him to be diagnosed early, and we jumped straight into Babies Can't Wait, which is a wonderful program um, that mm-hmm. addresses challenges that students um, may have at an early age, um, even before preschool. And that really made a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Um, he is on the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, he is on the higher end of the spectrum, so he is functional um, and gifted. Um, <laughs> but we also just recently got, got him diagnosed with ADHD. Um, full of energy, um, highly intelligent, but with an eight-year-old boy, and he is my firstborn, we're still trying to figure it out. But the one thing I can tell you is no matter how long you're in education, navigating this space is Mm -hmm. different. Absolutely. And and it's definitely something that I'm I'm thankful for these ladies at the table because they're my community. Um, They will tell you I've asked them a lot of questions. (laughs) Um, So the point I want to make is, just because you're in education, you may not always have all the answers. And if you're not in education, it's okay not to have the answers. Find your community to support you. Well, thank you all for sharing. Let's talk about navigating, mm-hmm. navigating this K-12 educational space. I, I mean, Jeanette, I heard you say your is eight years old. Your children are at two different levels, and yours has gone through every level. He <laughs> has graduated. So we got a whole lot of wisdom and experience around this table. Yeah. What would you share with parents who are navigating, trying to deal with, ensuring that their child gets everything that he or she needs in this K-12 educational space, which, as we all know, sometimes is not always easy to Mm -hmm. navigate? (laughs) Jeanetta started it right there and said it the best. And it is... um, Find your space in your community as mm-hmm. a parent, and that's my parent advice. Where is your, your niche of people that support you, where you get your information? And as you're working in the education community, it's about communication. Mm-hmm. It's about working with your school, working with your teachers, and then if you're not feeling like you're getting the right space there or the right support, finding out the administrators and the next people to help you and get the support in the, in the realm that you can so that you can get to the next steps. We still all haven't figured out the answers, even in that space as a parent, but we still work through that system and we work it as educators as well. I, at least as a, in the space I am now, I still reflect back to when I was young. We didn't always like our our teachers and we were in a regular public school. You know, you had challenges when you were going through school too. Then we have to add, as parents, layer on additional steps, additional problems, because we have disabilities and and questions and other things that you have to ask so find that space and I would agree with that also I think um, developing those professional relationships with parents and along with that it comes that constant communication Mm -hmm. and constantly staying focused that everything we're doing is about this child nothing is personal we're focusing on the child and giving him the best chance possible 
It's easy to say nothing's personal, but it feels so personal. Doesn't it? <laughs> it does. It feels because you want the very, very best for your children. Mm-hmm. And as a parent, you know, it bothers you, doesn't it? When it appears that they're not getting what they need to make that progress that they need to make that you expect mm-hmm. them to make. So I hear you, Dr. Cook. It does, but that's when that communication piece comes in. If you don't feel like your child's needs are being met, then you've already developed those relationships and you just constantly keep communicating and keep communicating. So do you have as parents, do you have support groups that you are a part of or do you encourage parents to be a part of those types of uh, support opportunities? Absolutely. And um, I don't know about the rest of my teammates here, but I I know for me it's... um, I get asked all the time about do we know support groups for parents of kids with disabilities. There are. There are Parent to Parent of Georgia. There's various um, support groups that we connect our parents with as a district. But even as a parent, some of your strongest support groups are just your smaller community. Mm-hmm. It's your church home. It's your closest friends. It's those people that you can, can be with. Recently, my son went to an overnight over the weekend. It was being able to tell another parent I have a child with a disability. He has to take medication on a regular process. We have times that we have to do this. Are you okay with that? And can he still come? Mm -hmm. And for somebody to say, absolutely, yes, we're okay with it, and to train that person and it was okay and everything went really well. And so that kind of success and that kind of group and mm-hmm. making your child feel successful is what really makes makes the difference. Yeah, uh, I agree. Transparency is so important mm-hmm. um, because when we shy away and not honest with our community or our friends or loved ones about the challenges our child has, then you're putting your child at more risk, right? Wow. So you definitely want to be as transparent, and then it allows your community to grow in their knowledge and know how to even address those mm-hmm. issues, whether it's with your child or with someone else's child in the community. So it, it creates a more sensitive environment. Um, and I think it's our job as parents of children with disabilities to help inform our community right. because the community reacts based on how informed they are. Why would, why would parents be less inclined or disposed to be transparent? Um, history shows stigma. Um, and, and lack Definitely. of knowledge. Um, so oftentimes people may not understand the disability. Um, a lot of times disabilities that children have may come across as bad behavior mm-hmm. or poor mm-hmm. behavior. And so because of that stigma, a lot of times we either do not allow our ch- children to participate in activities right. or we dismiss the behavior. And so I think transparency is so important so that parents, as well as your neighbors, the school, mm-hmm. Um, teachers who are not necessarily special ed teachers understand the needs of your child. That hyperactivity is there's ways to address it, mm-hmm. and um, knowing those strategies can really help the child to be the child to be successful. So, I think it's very important that we as a society understand that the world is made of of, of, of many colors. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and and I'll be very honest with you. I think the world would be rather boring if all of our children were the same. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I totally agree. If we were all the same, I just believe that the universe has a a, a wonderful way of diversifying (laughs) us Mm -hmm. and ensuring that uh, that we don't hold on to our own preconceived ideas. It's Mm -hmm. amazing how one child can just really help a family see Mm -hmm. who it really is Mm -hmm. and help you as individuals see who you really are. And also uh, 
create a, an amazing dynamic in a family mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. basically becomes a gift mm-hmm. to the whole household. Truly, yes. truly a, a gift. A child with special needs can really bring a family together because everybody knows we have to rally around this child in order for him or her to be successful. So the family, even the extended families, come together to support and make sure that child's successful. That is amazing to hear. And, and, And just imagine if all of our children had that type of rallying around and support mm-hmm. in every household, mm-hmm. every child. Mm-hmm. We would be in a different place, wouldn't we? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, as a, as a parent, you, you mentioned being transparent. You mentioned communicating with the classroom teacher, mm-hmm. the administrators, mm-hmm. the case managers or the yes. caseworkers, the lead teachers of special ed. Let's talk about some interactions that parents are encouraged to have with them. How often? Uh, any particular incidents or situations that they should really uh, bring to the awareness of the teacher uh, on the in a more proactive versus a reactive way. Mm-hmm. Talk about your interaction with your the teachers of your children. What's really been working for you? And what could you share with our parents who are also interacting with teachers about their children who may have special needs? Well, I'll jump in Um, because I am very engaged in that process at my son's school, Um, making sure that I help the teacher recognize the the specialness of my son and what special techniques, because it's not a one size fit all Mm -hmm. when it comes to techniques. Um, He has issues with sensory. And so helping him to know know what strategies to do to help him to calm down because he does have that hyperactivity Mm -hmm. um, and small things can get him very, very excited. Um, So what I have found that really works is making sure that they understand the strategies that his private therapists are doing so Mm -hmm. that we're all on the same page. Um, Because it doesn't help if he's doing one strategy in his therapy session and then another strategy um, in the classroom. So really trying to make sure we're unified. And I also make sure that I give permissions for those teachers to have conversations with his private therapist. And so they actually communicate and come up with plans of, okay, you've tried that at his private session. We'll do that here at the school. And that has made a big difference. But just making sure that teachers see sure they see him mm-hmm. and not just give him the generic approach to how to address that particular disability. Do you find that the, the teachers are receptive and it sounds like they like having they do. the opportunity <laughs> to converse with those those other provide service providers, therapists, etc. Absolutely, because the the private providers, this is their specialty. This is what they do all day. So sometimes they have strategies that maybe a co-teacher or a teacher may not know or has mm-hmm. not been made aware of, or they may not recognize that this particular strategy works best for this child mm-hmm. because there is a list of strategies that people have access to and you don't have time to try them all. So it right. really helps if the private therapist can say, hey, I know this works. Use this instead of that. Thank you. I do like that Janetta made a point in that she took strategy. We have a problem, and I'm not looking for just everybody to solve the problem. I have some solutions, too. And as a parent, I always wanted to come to the table to help with the solution. Teacher, try this. And I, as a parent, and I was also teaching at the same time, so I was doing for my children 
what I wanted done for my son. So I kind of had to play two roles, but I knew how to reverse roles also and be the parent and to come in with a solution. Try this. This is what works at home. Can you guys try this? And the teachers were very open to trying any suggestions that I brought forth. But it sounds like you have a, a deep degree of empathy because mm -hmm. you know the role of a parent, you know what they are struggling with, but at the same time, you know what the role of the educator mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. And so you, you come mm -hmm. with ideas of a parent, mm -hmm. but also the, the, uh, the expertise, if you will, of a teacher as well, mm -hmm. who's been trained. That's amazing. Anything you'd like to share, Trina? And I was going to say, I, that's where both my hats went on as she was talking because the side of the educator is, you said permissions, because mm -hmm. we do have to obtain permission to, mm -hmm. to communicate with outside um, personnel, and that's the key. But I always do the same thing. I bring in my outside resources and information to my teachers and share it as a parent. But I also hope that we get that mutual respect of I have some information to share, and I hope that you'll mm -hmm. implement that from from the standpoint of, Understanding that there are things that are going to set them off, or there's things that you can implement in the classroom that can be mm -hmm. supportive, and we can work through this together because we want success for all of our students, and it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's um, truly, when we say individualized education program, it really is, and it's very hard in the educational world as a teacher to implement individualized systems and sometimes teachers mm -hmm. are going to forget those things and sometimes we're not going to be able to implement those things all the time but as long as you're making um, strides to do those and you're showing intentionality to do that and we're right. working together mm -hmm. that's what's important yes so all of you are educators and Absolutely. so you have a you have a uh, a perspective that the average person may not have if they're not an educator. Correct. Mm -hmm. Especially if they're not an educator, but they have a child with an exceptionality. Mm -hmm. What specific piece of advice would you give a parent who is not an educator, mm -hmm. who is interacting with the school, the school system, or K-12 educators about the needs of their child who may not have the benefit or the perspective that you may have because you are an educator? I'll start with yeah. the basics and you can expand mm -hmm. that, which is there are, there are rules, regulations, and things we have to follow as educators. Mm -hmm. And in public school, which is one of the things that I believe in in public school, is we have that foundation, which is we have standards we have to teach and we have goals all of our kids have to reach. We have tests they have to take. So all of our teachers and educators like myself are trying to get all of the kids, whether you have 15 kids or 30 kids or 40 kids in the classroom, to it to reach to that goal. And um, when you plan a lesson, you plan with all of your kids in mind, but you do have kind of a, a goal to plan to the general, the general goal of population, and then you kind of adjust from there. And a good teacher does that as they're planning, but it's not an easy task to do as an educator. So we have to keep that in mind as it's not as simple as saying, I don't care about everybody else, it's my kid. I get it, we have to plan for everybody. So that's the, the difficulty as an educator. It's um, trying to plan for everything we have to do and adjust for all of our individualized situations. Well, that just sounds complicated. <laughs> that it just is. sounds very complicated. Plan for every individual needs, but make adjustments along the way. And you do. Teachers have to be very intelligent individuals. Mm -hmm. And attuned to all I, of that. Right. And I think for me, I was not an educator when my child was diagnosed. So I took it upon myself 
to learn all I could learn. I read, I researched, I did all I could do. I YouTubed, I did it all. So that when I came to the table, I was knowledgeable. And um, I reached out to people. What I didn't know, I asked. So that when I came to the table, I was knowledgeable of autism. I was knowledgeable of the regulations and all these things so that I could come to the table and know what my child's rights were as well. So I'm hearing you say, take time to study. Most definitely. Whatever your child's disability is, as much time as you can put into it, you need to become an expert in that area just as the teacher is. Very good. Um, I'm actually going to agree. I was going to use the example of my husband. He's not an educator, um, but he had to become knowledgeable. Um, I would even say he's probably more knowledgeable than I am because he has really taken the time to research and understand autism at different grade levels, at different ages, um, and even just navigating the DES world in Mm -hmm. education. Um, my area, I'm going to be honest, I had to get more knowledgeable about the process engaging in DES world because I was a general ed educator. Um, I understood teaching mm-hmm. science and teaching science to, to all students, but not necessarily the processes that you have to go through when you have a child that has um, exceptionalities. So I've had to educate myself in that space as well. So I think even though we come as educators with knowledge, there's still a space that we have to even grow our own knowledge um, from the parent perspective to do what's best for our kids. Before we move on to the conversation about the department in particular, mm-hmm. I want you all to share with our audience your perspective of the IEP process as a parent. (laughs) I think if I get any emails as a superintendent, it's it's about that IEP process, that IEP team, and all of that that that, uh, encompasses that. So let's, let's, I'm sure all of you can relate to that process. Mm -hmm. And IEP, for those who may not know, is the individual education, individualized educational plan. Mm -hmm. That's what we, in the law, it's Mm -hmm. IEP. Right. Well, I I guess I'll start with it because as director, unfortunately, I've probably written just as many IEPs as I've participated in. And of course, now my son has one. So um, I've sat on the other side while it's being developed and listening to the evaluation and walking through that process. And the law is so complex. The, the best word I can put is complex. Our manual is 370 pages, and that's just a local manual. You're not even talking about the federal law to the state and everything that goes with it and that to, to outline procedures that goes with everything that's encompassed in the law. So when you write an IEP, you're writing where the student is in their present levels. You're writing accommodations and supports. You're writing their goals. You're writing a plan for this student, and Mm -hmm. it is individualized. And if it's done well, it should be um, telling the parent what I see about your child, where they are performing now, what we can do during testing, what we can do in class, and um, what we want to do for the next year, where they're going to be. And the difficulty is sometimes educators speak that language, Mm -hmm. the educator language, or what we call jargon, and it comes out in a way that makes the parents feel like we're not on the same level, we're not speaking the same language, because we're really literally not. And that's why it's hard, because you have to educate yourself Mm -hmm. as a parent to get into that that lingo. And um, it's like going to do something in the car. I don't do mechanics. 
and I go to get something fixed in the car and the mechanic feels like he's going to explain something to me in the engine, I'm not, I don't understand that. I don't speak that language. But I'm glad you think you're going to explain it to me so I can understand why you charge me $400, but I don't know that. And I'm supposed to go home and explain that then to my husband and he's going to get mad about why we got charged $400 for this, this uh, issue. But that's how parents, I think, feel and how I've sat on the other side sometimes feeling in an IEP process. It can just be complex. And um, I just encourage parents to ask questions. Ask questions. Because mm -hmm. it should be in language that you understand. Give me an example of what you're saying. Tell me how I can do that at home. Or I just don't understand. So that we can get through the IEP process mm -hmm. in a way that you literally walk away knowing where my child is and what we're doing for the next year. But I think as a district, we do a, a good job and we're aware and try to read the parent. You can see when you're in a meeting with a parent and you're talking all this jargon and the parent really does not understand. We're trying as a district to make sure that our teachers break it down to everyday terms and not use all of the acronyms and just let parents know exactly mm -hmm. where the kid is. Okay. And I would just add, make it realistic um, and mm -hmm. do not allow um, generic strategies mm -hmm. to be put into place. Really think about who your child is, what does your child really need, and what gains will I see? Because that's the whole point of those strategies. So if I'm putting these things into the IEP, will this help my child move in their academic knowledge and have things of a way to measure that? Because mm -hmm. when it's generic and not measurable, then you really don't know if what you're doing is really having an impact or not. So going back to asking questions, mm -hmm. knowing what the strategy is, and how will we know if it's having an impact, and when will we check to see if it's going to have an impact? And be okay with changing it if it doesn't. I think that's very good advice, asking questions, making it the language so that the lay person can understand, yes, yes. making sure you're very intentional about the strategies, not generic, very specific, measurable strategies, so you can determine whether or not they've had the impact that they should have had. Excellent. I think all of that is great, great advice from your professional seats and also from your parents' seats for any parent who has to be engaged in the mm -hmm. IEP process. Well, let's talk about DES, and that is the Department of Exceptional mm -hmm. Students here in Clayton County. That's mm -hmm. the acronym we use Absolutely. to talk about our department that basically oversees our special education process mm -hmm. implementation of federal law that we must implement in our school system. As you well know, we have uh, a department and we've gone through several changes over the last few years. Can we first talk about what are some of the positive changes that have occurred in our DES department that the parents should be able to see as they visit campuses and engage with teachers and IEP teams, et cetera? Well, um we have uh, layered on more supports. That's definitely something uh, that um, we've seen change with your support, especially Dr. Beasley. It's, um, it, it's a complex job as well in special mm -hmm. education. We're talking about parents and educators. It's complex. 
Um, so supporting teachers is just as important as it is mm-hmm. with our parents. And we've added lead teachers for special education, expanded our supports. We have more um, autism supports, behavior supports going on, and that's really something we're working to do. Parents should be able to see that. You should have a point of contact in your building. You should have your case managers. Communication has been another focus of our department that we've really expanded. So every year you should have um, contact information that's being shared and um, a contact list so you know who your child's Mm -hmm. case manager is and who that lead teacher special education is in your building point of contact. We're seeing um, that that communication is being utilized. So I believe that that information is shared. And of course, we're out here and being uh, sharing the information, the communication in the district and the department, so we know that parents know where to go if they have questions and um, share it up if there's concerns in their local schools. We've also been um, focusing on um, assistive technology. As mm-hmm. COVID hit, we even targeted that, so they should see more technology application um, in action, and that should be something that's visible as well. And uh, all of our students, in addition to devices, our low-incident students have devices that are applicable to them. So you mentioned a lead teacher for special Mm -hmm. ed. What is the role of the lead teacher for special ed? Our lead teacher for special education is the support to the school building for our teachers and for our parents and students. They oversee compliance, they oversee communication with with parents, and they oversee kind of managing and making sure the IEPs are completed and that um, we have timely um, communication, timely um, completion of Mm -hmm. the IEP process, that we're managing SST referrals into special education and ensuring that evaluations are completed so we can get IEPs completed as we have concerns. Um, And we continue, all the students that move in, they're the point of contact and we do have a lot of move-ins and and changeover. Um, They're not one for one in every building. So we do have a lead teacher that might share a couple of elementary schools. So um, there's a department chair at the local school as well as the lead teacher for special education that's a point of contact. So Ms. Dr. Cook, a case manager. Parents deal with case managers Mm -hmm. directly. What's the role of the case manager? The case manager is that person that's that's at the school that person that oversees the first point of contact for the parent, the person that oversees that IEP, the person that is follow, is keeping up with the, the person who would be completing the IEPs, making sure they're done on time. The LTSC oversees all that, but the case manager is that first point of contact who would be working with that child, who the parent should be calling and reaching out to if there's an issue or some concerns, they're that first point of contact who can really tell the parent what's going on in the school as far as the child's schedule, as far as any issues or any concerns, and then from there it just goes out into the chain of command. That is helpful to hear. So if I'm a parent and I have a child with an exception identified exceptionality, what type of communication does the department expect the school to provide to the parent on an annual basis? We do expect that each year as the school year starts that the case managers send out a notification to all of their students because caseloads change every year just like teachers change every Mm -hmm. year. So um, at the beginning of the school year shortly as we start 
they would send out a notice, an email or a letter that introduces themselves as their child's case manager that says they're managing um, their IEP, they're ensuring that services are in place and tells them a little bit about who they are and gives them that contact information to follow up with if they have questions. We do also have a contact form that goes with that that would explain to them who their building point of contact is for special education, which is usually administrator, what we call a designee, and their lead teacher for special education if they have additional questions and then other points of contact maybe for physical therapy or other things like that for their child services. Um, in addition to that, every child has to have an annual IEP mm -hmm. at bare minimum, which means every 364 days there should be a team meeting of all those service providers for their child that, to talk about where their child is, what services are being provided, how they're making those progress goals and objectives. So we want to encourage all of our parents to be at that annual IEP meeting. Mm -hmm. We know that everybody works and there's a lot going on and you might communicate a lot by phone and by email, but at minimum, please be at your child's annual IEP meeting so you know what's going on. We do them virtually, we can yes. do them over the phone, we can do them in person, but we've got to be on the same page. So it, that's the minimum is that we're introducing and we stay in regular communication from the case manager and that they have that annual IEP meeting. But we can always call an IEP meeting anytime there's mm -hmm. concerns. So there's amendment meetings that can be called by the parent or the case manager. Um, and then there's also the every nine weeks progress, um, progress reports that are sent home on their goals and objectives that we expect to be a point of communication as well. As a parent, Janetta, are you informed about the complaint procedures? Oh, absolutely. Um, and. I love the fact that she brought up that you have the right to call an IEP meeting as a parent whenever you feel like there's a need to have a conversation around your child's progress. So, but yes, absolutely, we understand how to file the complaints. We know the, the chain of command of how that process goes. Um, they make sure that you always have your rights um, at every meeting. They hand you that. It's a booklet that they give you. Um, I do. It's a booklet. But I do advise that you you may not can read it all in one setting, but mm -hmm. you definitely need to read through it because knowing what your rights are mm -hmm. is really the first step in making sure your child has what he needs in education. Because although you love your child and you want the best for your child, you have to recognize that because they have a lot of kids, mm -hmm. everybody may, may not be on the same page. So you need to know your rights as a parent. So that booklet that you get, um, which is a wonderful booklet, definitely read it. But yes, you do know the complaint process. Now, as you all well know, as a superintendent, sometimes I get the complaints. <laughs> and then I have to, of course, we have a protocol. We mm -hmm. send them to the appropriate department to be addressed. What happens when a parent feels like they need to file a complaint with the Office of Civil Rights? What has really happened when they get that far? Or should I assume that something didn't happen in order for a parent to feel like they have to actually do that? There's, I, I never go into any of those things making any assumption, either way, on the part of the parent or the school. Because our first step in any process when we receive any notification, Office of Civil Rights, Special Education, DOE complaint, or a filing in court, is that um, we go to investigate. So when it comes to our department, that's the first step is we do investigation. We investigate on the part of the case manager, the school, the administration, and the parent and see what's going on. And that's what the state does when it goes to the DOE, they do investigation. But there's a lot of steps in between, which is why I encourage parents 
don't you don't feel like it's your right you should if you get to that point fill out a piece of paper and file but it takes a long time to get through those processes and those steps and um, can be costly if there's court involved you can always come to our department and do the same thing by emailing us by notifying you if you feel like you're at that point of frustration and we're going to take the same steps internally investigate and follow up and make sure that we're taking care of those things that said um, when it comes to the court filings and legal proceedings the next step literally comes to mediation and we're going to um, in mo our practice internally is, is in most cases try to mediate and come to a resolution internally before we try to pursue something that seems adversarial um, so we want to come to an agreement we want to look at what the investigation is and what we've found and um, what we can determine before we go to the next step well, I'm sorry if Please. I can add because Trina and um, um, Sheila both know that I've been through this in a different district not this district <laughs> but um, what got me to that point was um, feeling that my child had been a victim um, truly and, and as parents not being heard mm -hmm. um, and not and really mistreating a child I think okay. was was what got me to that point um, so Sometimes it's never necessarily, it could be about the individual that that child is interacting with and not necessarily the district as a whole. But I think we just always got to make sure that we're not um, mistreating children in any kind of way because that mm -hmm. ultimately puts mom and dad into protective mode mm -hmm. and puts them at that point to go try to file something. Rightfully so. so. Yeah. Right. Rightfully so. so. I totally agree. And it's important to hear, to hear and for our parents to hear that we do have a process and we mm -hmm. take every single one of those complaints concerns seriously. Mm -hmm. Any suggestions for a parent before it really gets to a, a high level complaint, mm -hmm. any suggestions for parents to address those issues before it really uh, accumulates or you know become bigger mm -hmm. than what it should be? Any advice? Sheila? Yeah, I think the biggest advice is, is not to let it go on so long that it's just festering now. Mm -hmm. You've let it go on and on and on and on. Now you're to the point that you don't want to deal with anybody, speak to anybody. And I think parents should know that we're up here as educators discussing this, but it's not been a bed of roses for any of us. I mean, most of my child's educational matriculation was great but there were a lot of bumps in the road, in the road. where I've gone to IEP meetings and even as as an educator I went to IEP meetings and still I got frustrated but I didn't let the frustration fester to the point where I could no longer communicate with the school or communicate with the admin or the district office um, I think the biggest thing is to go ahead and address whatever the problem is mm -hmm. and not let it fester okay anyone else and I would say the same thing. Don't let it fester. It, and it's hard as a parent because when you get to a point of frustration, mm -hmm. it does lead to feelings. And sometimes it's hard to communicate what you're trying to say and what you feel right. as a parent and where your frustration is because you don't feel like people are hearing you already. Mm -hmm. So coming back around to try and say <laughs> it again feels like I've said this a million times. Why are we not listening? But um, go to the next person, go to mm -hmm. the county office, go to the superintendent if you have to. Because in our county, I can speak for Clayton, 
we are going to hear you. Yes, I might have a coordinator who addresses that conversation or a lead teacher that's going to follow up, but our point is that we follow up and that we're going to investigate and do the next step, and then we're going to come out with an outcome. And that's the key, and that's the critical piece is that we come out with an outcome and um, hopefully put everyone at ease and into the next steps and that we have a plan to move forward. And we don't want to let it sit and fester. Well, anything you'd like to share as we close about specifically about the Department of DES that we may not have shared? Anything I, that comes to just, mind? Um, I guess I'll, I'll summarize everything as the director in that um, my goal, of course, as a parent, as a director, as a, a team member in Clayton County for 20 years is to see our department of exceptional students um, continue to grow and improve and become the best Department of Exceptional Students in the state of Georgia, and I know I've said that to you, <laughs> Dr. Beasley, but I'm saying that here um, because our kids are worth it, and mm -hmm. they're valued and important, and all children can succeed and be very valued, important members of our society, and that's why I do what I do every day. Well, and we should acknowledge that we do see, we look at the data, mm -hmm. and we know our grad rate for students with disabilities Absolutely. has been mm -hmm. consistently improving. We know more of them are participating in advanced learning courses, yeah. et cetera. And those are all good indicators that we're doing the right work. We also know in the district that the number of lawsuits has declined. Um, I, clearly, some years are better than others. Mm -hmm. um, but we're, we're paying attention to those things. We, we have processes in place mm -hmm. uh, to respond to complaints. And we do expect those processes to, processes to be followed. Um, and our team members are actually following through to ensure that we investigate and we come to some resolution. Mm -hmm. That's just very important. We want our parents to know that, that we hear them, that we we're on the journey with them, mm -hmm. and that our children are the focus. And whatever we can do to work together to ensure that our children have the very best instructional mm -hmm. experience, that's exactly what we want to do. We expect that of ourselves and of every employee in our school system. We do. Mm -hmm. Janetta, anything you want to share? I would just Sheila? add that I love the fact that the department collaborates with CIA, Critical Instruction and Assessment, mm -hmm. quite frequently. Um, <laughs> we have a wonderful working relationship, mm -hmm. and they also participate in a lot of our summer um, opportunities as well. So mm -hmm. um, just a last little pitch, make sure you guys apply <laughs> for our summer, because um, we accept all students. Um, we expect all, all students. We do, we do, and we have support for those students during the summer. I will say this, as I look at the school choice data, I would like to see more parents who have children with disabilities or exceptionalities to apply for those school choice programs. Mm -hmm. We have some room to grow in our school system. Mm -hmm. And so I want to, parents, you hear me out there? <laughs> I want you to take advantage of the school choice uh, process and feel free, look at those options and apply mm -hmm. for those programs that are available here in our mm -hmm. school system. Sheila, would you like to share anything? I, would to, I totally agree. Um, the, we have the support we can support in, um, in our district. So I encourage them to go out and apply and, and raise the bar for your child. But the biggest thing is to, to raise the bar because teachers are raising the bar. So parents, don't be afraid when teachers are encouraging you to go out and do these things. We need to raise the bar for our children. Raise the bar. 
Well, that's a great place to end. Thank you all for sharing your your personal journeys, your personal stories about your children, about your experience as a parent and as an educator. I hope that the information that has been shared will be helpful to our parents, realizing that there are no silver bullets, there are no quick, mm-hmm. easy um Solutions that sometimes you just got to get all the grown people around the table, right. make sure the child is in the middle of the table, the focus <laughs> of, the, of the conversation, and figure it out and mm-hmm. figure it out. Uh, we're complex individuals. The problems that we deal with are complex. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we've got to, as adults, we've got to get around the table and bring all these smart people around the table and mm-hmm. figure it out. But we want our community to know that we value our children, we love our children, and we are determined and committed to provide them Mm -hmm. the very best instructional experience that will prepare them for their post-secondary options. Yes. And we're not going to compromise on that. We're not going to compromise on that. Well, thank you, Dr. Cook. Thank you, Ms. Smith, our director of DES. Thank you, Ms. Janetta Greenwood, our science coordinator, who's also leading our summer STEM efforts. And I should say this, a plug for summer STEM. We have the best summer STEM in all of metro Atlanta and all of Georgia. So if you've not applied, you better get busy. You better get busy. Go to Infinite Campus and get Get those applications for summer STEM completed and submitted. Completed and submitted. But remember, uh, you've been inspired with Dr. Beasley on this podcast. It's our intention that our community would be informed and engaged as we move our school system as a team, one team, towards higher levels of performance. We are in pursuit of high performance. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to you participating in our next podcast. Remember, I'm Dr. Morris J. Beasley, Superintendent of Schools here in Clayton County Public Schools, and you have been inspired with Dr. B. Have a great, great, great rest of the month, and I know spring break is upon us. Enjoy your spring break, <laughs> and we'll see you after spring break as we, oh, my goodness, bring the school year to, a, to, a close. to an end. Mm-hmm. Take care, everyone.